A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Wrestle Kingdom 17 review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dudley Boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, to review everything that just happened at New Japan's Wrestle Kingdom 17 show. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we review Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT Dubai. Oh, AW Dynamite, AW Rampage, oh. pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete. A big quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Michael Sidgwick to review Wrestle Kingdom 17 that has literally just finished. First of all, nice to have a show that's a reasonable time for us UK yes. viewers. But your, your thoughts on the show overall, Sidge? Uh, my general thoughts are that it was an excellent show for the most part. Um, but I think it wasn't just a show... It was meant to be the uh, a reboot, if you like. Mm. Not narratively. Maybe reboot is the wrong word. What I'm getting at is it was meant to be the new sample. The mm. A lot of people, myself included, have kind of zoned out of New Japan Pro Wrestling because it was really, even when it was great, it was bittersweet during the pandemic because something was missing, and that was an audience. Mm. But I think in and around that, I thought the booking had become a little bit formulaic um, prior to the pandemic happening, and that's what three years ago now, or four if you consider 2019. Um, so I don't think the pandemic was solely to blame on a professional level. It's really irritating because New Japan make it almost impossible to have critics cover and expose their product, um, for image rights and all mm-hmm. that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. So I think not just for me, for a lot of people, this is right, okay, New Japan had fallen off. What a shame. I just want to put over how much I love New Japan between 2012 and 2019. Mm. Um, my God, what an absolutely incredible run. Probably the longest and best run of any promotion at its best ever. But this was the time where a lot of people were thinking, right, okay, well, Omega's back. There's going to be a cheering crowd. There's a lot of buzz surrounding the promotion at long last. This is the sample. What I took from it was, and I feel a little bit guilty about this considering how ardent I was about my love of New Japan Pro Wrestling. I felt like the WrestleMania casual. Omega Osprey, which, goddammit, we will get into, was so phenomenal. And that's what I've missed. Okada J. White was the kind of same old New Japan, long, intricate, slow burn, reversal-laden match structure that I got a little bit worn out by. Um, I will definitely check out what they do over the year. Um, provided that it's a full return to cheering crowds, but it didn't feel like ultimately as good as it used to be, even if 
Omega Osprey was one of the best matches I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, you talk about the crowd there. And it's an obvious place to start because was, this was the end of clap crowds, hopefully forever. Um, but obviously everyone should stay safe out there. Um, it really did make a difference, didn't it? Yes, absolutely. Like I've watched matches um, increasingly over the last... I've still watched every sort of, or almost every match where it was like, right, okay, it doesn't matter about the crowd, you have to watch it. Okay, so the G1 final last mm, year, for example, yeah. I watched. It, in its own warped way, used to be amazing. And realistically, you got a grasp of who the best professional wrestlers in the world were. Um, uh, from a pure crowd psychology level throughout that dismal period of just bittersweet at best wrestling because uh, the Japanese public were very um, observant of the rules, very conscientious. So they used to clap mm. more often than not. If something got so goddamn great, <laughs> they lost their inhibitions in that moment and then started, in spite of themselves, uh, to make noise because they were just so swept up that... They were being nice and not nice at the same time, if yeah. that makes any sense. They were being so nice to the performers and they'd been cast under such a spell that they immediately forgot that there were protocols that they were ordinarily very, very um, uh, happy to observe. Like the, the G1 final, like some of Ishii's best work during the pandemic, like his fire-up spots, his staggered selling, his no, I'm not dead yet <laughs> stuff. Uh, really connected and people forgot themselves. So in a weird way, someone like Tomohiro Ishii, who's already a legend, already an absolute Hall of Famer in any Hall of Fame that fame that actually matters, you got a grasp of just how good he actually was to get that set of fans in the pandemic like really uh, operating beyond themselves. Um, but yeah, who will ever miss it? <laughs> it's so weird and harsh as well because they're actually doing the right thing. As we yeah. speak, cases are surging everywhere. We're nowhere near out of it. It's just the uh, the desire to care has gone. It's mm. shocking, but it has. That's yeah. just what happens. Um, I think a lot of people extended a lot of latitude to pandemic wrestling across the East and the West um, in 2020. You'll go back and watch something now that I raved about on a Dynamite review. If you ever go back and watch it, no one wants to really from a 2020 Dynamite, you'll get a different picture now yeah. that we're back in full crowds in the States. Um, it was harder from, what, the summer of 2021 we've had fans return yeah, in yeah. America. It was so much harder now that we had that to watch New Japan. So, yeah, I hope it's the end, but at the same time, I wouldn't mind seeing loads of masks in a American <laughs> arena. Like, I don't want it to go away mm. on a purely selfish level, but... More masks, that'll do me. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, if you're wondering where Michael Hamlet is on all this, he's busy writing his thoughts down uh, for ups and downs. He's what, already done it. It's already out right now. Whatculture.com forward slash WWE if you want to go and check out his thoughts on Wrestle Kingdom 17. Um, but Sige, on a show with multiple title changes, uh, a match of the year candidate that we will get to in a second, it was the thing that wasn't advertised or on the card, but we all hoped and anticipated that probably most people are going to leave talking about and that is of course the debut of the former Sasha Banks I've got to remember to keep calling her that now because I'm definitely going to accidentally call her Sasha at some point going forward um, Mercedes Monet debuting following that Kyrie match what do you think of everything that went down? Um, I was pretty let down if I'm being perfectly honest I thought it was really underwhelming I think it was hard to execute um, we've got an English language speaker coming in to do a promo in a Japanese promotion, it's always going to feel a bit flat and off. There's no rhythm there. There's no interaction because the vast majority 
of the people there. Couldn't really grasp what she was saying. She did keep it brief and to the point. I don't think it was particularly well delivered. Um, I don't know what that finisher is. No. I don't think anybody else does either. I don't even think Mercedes Monet knows what that is. Um, I've never seen a better dyed hair in my entire <laughs> life. She exuded a megastar, yeah. superstar aura. She looked the part of a superstar, and then as soon as she did something, it kind of fell apart. <sighs> is disaster too harsh? I think it's it's one of those, isn't it, of the potential still there. We talked about this on the news. I've got no doubt she'll do yeah. great things. It, uh, it's one of those, I think, I can't remember, I think it was you or Andy who said it, that in reality, in a week, well, actually, uh, in a week and a day's time, um, it's not really going to matter because we're going to remember, oh, yeah, she came in, debuted at Wrestle Kingdom, which is awesome, obviously, for her. Um, and then, fingers crossed, this time, as I say, in eight days, you and I will be sat here talking about her being Soraya's mystery partner in AEW. I saw some people saying that they they shouldn't have done this. They shouldn't have had her debut here. They should have maybe, I don't know, held off and had her debut in Dy- on Dynamite first. Do you think that's going to take away from it all? Because I don't. I don't. Uh, why wouldn't she debut here? Look, it's, as I said, the context of um, someone like uh, Mercedes Monet debuting here was never going to go perfectly. Mm. Um WWE doesn't have as much penetration in New Japan in Japan as it once did. Uh, very early, before they were very, through absolutely incredible performances, really drawn into it. If you've been told you have to clap and it's bad if you make noise for like, what, two years at this point? Yeah. They're not going to flick it on like a switch, so the reaction wasn't there. What didn't help as well, and I do want to touch on this, is I thought it was almost not a disgrace. Again, I try not to be too hyperbolic. Don't want to catastrophize things anymore. Um, but five minutes for Kairi Sane and yeah. Tam Nakano. That ending was so abrupt. Everything we know about New Japan Pro Wrestling, and yes, I know the undercards go short, a bit longer, a bit longer, a bit longer, a bit longer into the main event. But for God's sake, if it's yeah. your big like opening statement, if you like, for the IWGP women's title on a massive show, you have to do better. I just thought it was treated as almost like an afterthought. So I think even before Mercedes made the entrance, there was that feeling of, ah, that was it. Mm. Uh, and what's worse as well is that they were having an absolutely class match while it lasted. Like, um, the action was great. The body language was great. You wouldn't have known that they were told, you've got five minutes, because they were building it in their faces as they were going to craft this epic. And it was getting there. They were, to use a young person's phrase, well-born cooking. Mm-hmm. But then it just really, really abruptly ended. So I think the atmosphere, the conditions for the debut weren't ideal before the debut was decidedly not ideal. But again, I've got no doubt she's going to do great things there. Yeah, and she's uh, she's still going to get, if this happens, obviously we'll talk about it probably next week, she's still going to get a huge peb if she shows up on Dynamite. I don't think anything's going to be taken away from by her showing up here. And also, big picture stuff, as much as, you know, like you say, the crowd reaction isn't going to be the, to the levels of an American crowd reaction, just just as an example. And the language barrier, and even disregarding that finisher, like, you can't turn around and say, oh, actually, we're not going to have you show up at WrestleMania. We're going to have you show up in three weeks because that works better timeline-wise. I yeah, it's just, just very work. backwards. To be yeah, there. bizarre. Um Right, let's get into the uh, Kenny Omega um, match because there's a lot of pressure, I think, going into this. Omega Osprey, obviously a lot of anticipation, and yet, bloody hell. 
Jesus Christ, I was terrified throughout this. <laughs> yes, you and were it, wincing. And it wasn't just the actual execution, which even before the big bombs was just stunning. Like, even the small moments, like Omega winding Omega up in the parameters of the storyline, Omega uh, deems Osprey to be, like, a bit unhinged, wildly impulsive and emotional as a wrestler. He's the cool, composed wrestling god. He's been on the stage before. He's had his big victories. Um, just smacking him really hard with the heel of his boot and the back of his hand, just between the shoulder blades. It's not just painful. It literally gets your back up. So those moments were great. Um, the actual execution of the bombs, like uh, Avalanche Kreutz Wrath, Fucking hell's sake. <laughs> I thought necks had been broken. Like, I thought, con- how have they not... If there's no concussion from either man after this match, they're the two best workers of all time. Mm. You can make that argument already. They sh- This was certainly evidence of that. Um, but the way in which the suspense and the sense of terror and peril and drama was worked towards in the spaces between these absolutely repulsively violent moves was just expert. I tweeted this. The mega fans will forgive me. I spent the entirety of that match wondering what they were doing on the ropes, kind of working it out and thinking, well, you can't do that without breaking your neck or getting a concussion because it's impossible. Like, shitting myself (laughs) when they leapt off the rope and then exploding with exhilaration and catharsis and joy when they actually executed it. The it was just it was iconic and special in every single way of this match. Um away from just the brilliant execution, which was the bare minimum standard. The bare minimum expectation for this match was just absolutely incredible execution. Mm. And we got that, of course we did. But the f- special feeling, the iconic imagery that will leave it like Omega getting Will Ospreay's head and oh. just smashing it through that table was comparatively, considering they were doing head-first bumps off the top rope, one of the safer things in that match, right? But they'd already cultivated such an incredible sense of danger. And Will Ospreay, who I think is a twat in real life, (laughs) right? I really felt so much sympathy with him. Kenny Omega is my favorite wrestler of all time. Will Ospreay, right, I kind of think is a twat. And I was just, like, sympathizing with him, Mm. and I thought I was drawn into a struggle. Like, the... It wouldn't have been a nice thing to do, getting your head smashed through a table, but it was just an iconic visual effect. Through as well. Through. Like, Not into. Uh, like through for a second time. That yeah. was just like, it looked like Swiss cheese, that table by the end. It was absolutely <laughs> unbelievable. And it all built to uh, some really nice callbacks, but not in a like really sort of, oh, we'll have to hit this note. Or you know, when you watch a match and you feel like, oh, I've They've plotted this spot in the back, and it's really good. Like, the Styles Clash was a great one because they both used it before on their respective journeys to the throne. Okada, um, a callback to Kenny's DDT days. This is the most violent match I've seen of his since the um, Kota Ibushi one in 2012. But the half... But the indirect El Generico nod because um, the whole idea was that Kenny Omega and... Will Ospreay have had very different hard-working journeys in Japan and neither respects the other, or certainly Omega doesn't respect Ospreys. Omega integrated himself into the culture, absorbed it all, loved it all, was a Japanophile, learned the language, mm-hmm. um, whereas Ospreys never really done that. 
in in kayfabe, Omega thinks less of Osprey for not doing that. But then as Omega articulated in the press conference yesterday, like, I haven't learned the language. And he was like, I'm thick. I can barely speak English. How am I going to learn Japanese? But, you know, I stayed in a hotel room that was tiny with no windows for 14 days to make it here. So don't belittle my journey. And then just the fact that they did a sort of generico spot when Kenny had a very famous match with them in DDT was just a perfect way to do it. And then when they were doing the risk control stuff, I thought, all right, okay, this is a callback to the very, very famous and incredible match with Kazuchika Okada from Wrestle Kingdom in 2017. And then for it all to be led, leading to the moment where actually, no, he's going for the Kamagoye. It was like, no, I'm getting my ultimate revenge on Ibushi having had... uh, having when Osprey concussed him a few years ago was just the ultimate story beat for this ultimate story. He had said, I'm going to use my diamond sharp mind to beat you, you thick twat. <laughs> and he got the Kamigoye and Osprey realized, fuck, he's got us. The only thing I can do now is spit in his face yeah. defiance. And I'm going to get my face drilled in. I'm going to get one winged angel. Like it was, this was disgustingly violent at points but so beautiful as a match, I thought. Five stars, obviously, for me. Yeah, I was going to say, um, we'll circle back to the finish in just a second because I want to ask you about something. But in terms of moves, first of all, it was really, really enjoyable to watch you watching it because I don't really get to do that very often. Often we just come in and say, what do you make a Dynamite yeah, yeah. or Raw or whatever it may be. Um, so that was that was an experience. Uh, and there was so many things in there, like you say, not just, I mean, you know, I've no doubt that just bouncing off the ropes would hurt for me, but like getting kicked into the exposed turnbuckle where you well, can themselves s- in the barricade. Yeah, smashing into that. The table stuff you've already mentioned. The bit with the, ta- I think it was Omega who took this rather than Osprey, but the bit with the table on the outside where it's upside down and it's just got the beat, the, the metal bars that hold the table together and he just gets dropped on that. Like, you, you, I don't have to experience that to know, oh, that must. That must suck really yeah. on your back to take that. And I, you know, I haven't watched as much as you, but it's very rare that I see a hidden blade where the person's facing him. Oh, my God. I thought they'd botched it, but it's like, no, Omega's <laughs> just a lunatic. He's just demented to do this. I mean, this match was absolutely incredible. Like, I would honestly, just as a general treat, if nothing else, go back and watch Omega Ricardo 1 mm. from Wrestle Kingdom um, 11, Jesus Christ. But reviewing 17, and that was 11. <laughs> now, go back and watch it. I feel like a lot of people would revise their star ratings for virtually every single match they watch every week down a peg if they went back and watched mm. that. I'm not saying this match was on that level, but in terms of the Kenny Omega New Japan big match experience, it was like a composite, and it almost reached the high of his very best. But it was like... The sheer insane brutality of his matches with Naito combined with the drama of the matches with Okada, but it's no tribute act to what Omega used to be because in terms of the tone, like what a vicious, almost at times methodical heel performance from Omega. Mm. So he's hit the heights of his old New Japan run, which when I saw him battered, in 2021, still putting on world-class performances, but nowhere near the same performer. And then I missed him throughout much of 2022. Uh, this is just as a Kenny Omega mega fan. This was so perfect for me to watch. And um, 
because he's such a genius, this was a different kind of match because he's just such a genius. And he comes out with the tan and he clears the top rope with ease. It was just... Oh, my God. I remember being a little bit heartbroken. 2021, before crowds returned, he had a match with Moose on some impact pay-per-view or other, but it was held at Daly's Place. And, my God, it's the worst Kenny Omega match I've ever seen. <laughs> and I was like, I thought, is he going to, like rebound off these ropes because he struggled in agony to do that Terminator dive. So to see him clear it in picturesque, picture-perfect, spectacular arc, vintage, sorry, yeah, Kenny Omega style was just unbelievable. And uh, I just a joy to watch as a big Kenny Omega fan. Like, this is what he does. He puts on, like, we all watched this in a room together, and we were all... We're all desensitized, <laughs> long-time wrestling fans in our mid, early to mid to late 30s. All in our 30s. All in our 30s. <laughs> and we all, at various points, howled and squealed and sort of just shivered and, God damn it, this was a masterpiece. And before we move on, I think it speaks volumes as well for someone like you uh, to sit there after, you know, he's caved his head in, like you say, he's busted him open, he's done those kicks that sounded hollow, or it was horrific, that when he got him up and nailed him with a one-wing angel, there was still a bit of you that thought, mm, Osprey might kick out here. I was scared. I was scared. That's the most I've ever been scared of a... I was, I'm approaching this like a total mark, and I do not give a toss. No. I was scared that they were going to give him the kick out. Um, They still might... I feel like the story obviously is going places. Mm -hmm. It's been a great places. Like they've shared the same physical space once, uh, twice, the press conference and in a trios match mm -hmm. on Dynamite. And uh, it still feels massive because Kenny Omega is clever enough to tell us stories in press interviews and like little pissy asides. <laughs> and this felt enormous as a result. But yeah, I do feel like Osprey could be the guy to kick out of it at some point. But I was terrified that he was going to do it because he'd entered one of the all-time great babyface performances, did Will Ospreay. Match of the year so far, and would you run it back at Forbidden Door? Um, I'm not sure because I think the story is Ospreay has to win. Yeah, He's significant. He's, not, he's younger than Omega. The whole idea is the torch passing of the story. I feel like it should happen in Japan, the sequel. Okay. I feel like it, for... for the emotion to fit the results, it needs to happen in Japan. I think an American audience wouldn't get, or would certainly side with Omega or go 50-50, and this match did. And uh, I'm not saying that Osprey is not good enough as a babyface, because God damn it, I hate him, and he is. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I just think it means more and matters more to the story that they're telling if Osprey wins in Japan the rematch. An early contender for match of the year, though. And you, what do you reckon like, Dave's going to go on this? Oh, I love that question. I love that question. Like, the, you got to see something very special to beat this. It's the match of the year, undoubtedly. It's I know we're only four days in here, but yeah. But no, like, it's, that's the thing. Whatever beats this, I can't wait. I yeah. cannot wait to see it. Um, uh, Dave, we play a game in the office. Oh, hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Sorry. I wasn't expecting to use silly sound effects on this one. It's time to play the game! Time to play, time to the, play game. the game! <laughs> Useless. <laughs> um, so Dave tweeted, um, 
that, oh, what did he say? He said that Omega beat Osprey with the uh, one-winged angel, Kamagoya, and then the one-winged angel. Um, as high as the expectations were for this match, it greatly exceeded them. Mm. I think... And you also say, basically, good luck to Okada following. And that. he said, yeah, so he said that, and as you said, Will Bourne, he said, um, I can't see how Okada follows that, and I've Shh. never, ever said that before. Given that, I think, if this met his expectations, he would have gone five or five and a quarter. I think he's going the full six for this. Oof. I'm in five, I'm maxed out at five. I max out of five and a quarter, actually, because nothing... <laughs> I do get the quarter increments because Dominion 2018, you're not... There's never going to be anything as good as that. So that's five and a quarter, or five star plus. Yes. Uh, this is five. I think, he's, I think he's going six for this. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago... If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash boast. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Let's talk about what came afterwards then uh, that had to follow that. World title match, of course. Uh, Jay White defending the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship against Kazuchika Okada. It was kind of imp- an impossible task to follow Omega Osprey, wasn't it? It was, and they've done a far better job than the two Triple H matches to which this was compared um, against Jericho at 18 and R- Orton at 25. <sighs> I know, I understand the memes and the comparisons. It was way better than those two matches. And it did a way better job of getting the crowd into it. That's the thing. Like, for obvious reasons, Omega Osprey was going to connect more with fans in the West. We can better read the um, interviews, transcripts, or listen to the podcasts or the interviews where they've both been throwing barbs at each other. We've seen it on Dynamite. It was obviously going to connect more to us than White Okada. Um... So the fans were really, really into it. And I think in a vacuum, they told us sh- it was a strictly very good match. And obviously the fans in attendance are way more into the story than I think a lot of people on my 
um, subjectively curated timeline, which could not be asked with this match, right? So maybe some of the stuff that I found desperate in this match was earned over there because they were into it. But when Jay White was screaming, you're a coward, you're a coward, you're a coward. And he's like, the facial expressions, and it was so melodramatic. And I honestly just thought they were trying so hard. Why wouldn't you after that? But they were just it just felt so fake and try hard to me and not earned. And it felt like they were forcing an epic on me. It felt like they were telling me they were having a great match rather than just working a great mm. match and letting me get into it. They felt like they were screaming. Literally, they were <laughs> in my face. This is a great match. Get into it. Um, so I didn't feel any of the emotion. And as a result, their emotion felt very histrionic and contrived and desperate to me. In terms of the actual match layout, like, I'm just bored at this point of the slow burn start the reversal-strewn, counter-driven drama at the end. There's some great stuff in here, like the sequence where White, at the last second, one of my favorite things, when he ducked something at the last second, ducked two Rainmakers only for a car that hit the switchblade, for example. That was great, but I thought it was formulaic. I thought the pacing was a bit dull. I thought it stood no chance after this. And in general, if that continues to be the kind of match you're going to expect... From New Japan, every single major show, from now until the next big stylistic change, or the next big star that replaces a Carter, doesn't matter for me that much if the fans are going to cheer or not, because I've been watching it for almost a decade at this point. So, I it was a strictly very good match. Jay White doesn't feel like he is it. I'm using a lot of young people lingo <laughs> today. He is him. He's not him. He's just not him for me. I've often compared Jay Novel, uh, Jay Novel, Jay White to a dense novel, mm. where you know it's good, you know it's really very good, but you know the American Office is on Netflix, <laughs> and I did a lot of reading in my youth, and I can't be asked with like six hundred pages of something worthy. That's not particularly like just amazingly entertaining. The right call to put the title back on Okada. Yes, absolutely. He's the ace, and the fans love him, and. Look, it's one of those things. I can be subjective about it, but I'm not going to deny the reality that the fans are still besotted with Okada. It was the Antonio Noki tribute show as yeah. well. Why go the desperate heel route? The story that they've been telling is that Okada can't beat Jay White. He finally did. It's the babyface redemption. So it was the right result. Um, but yeah, that kind of New Japan is the one I got a bit bored of, if I'm honest. Um, I was planning on when we were coming in here this morning... I was initially making my notes. I was like, right, we've got to talk about Omega Osprey. We've got to talk about the world title. If the former Sasha Banks shows up, we've got to talk about that. And then I'll just ask him a little bit about clap crowds and maybe a bit about uh, Carl Anderson, for example, and obviously FTR, who were, were taking part in this. I didn't anticipate sitting down with you to ask you about the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship four-way. Oh, yeah. But uh, that hooked both of us, didn't it? It was great. It was absolutely great. I don't want to... Set my own cock here, right? <laughs> but I said on the NXT preview, which I took as a yes, I remember as inter- that. I interpreted. I'll just preview Wrestle Kingdom here and do a bit. <laughs> I said they're going to make Master Wato into uh, Clark Connors from Forbidden Door, and they did like an even better job. Yeah, Master Wato, right, is kind of his face and his look is kind of synonymous to me with. All right, New Japan's cooked. It's in a pandemic. It's incredibly bleak to watch. This guy's not ready. They are overcompensating for their aging, very overfamiliar roster by having more than one wacky gimmick from 
wrestlers who aren't necessarily ready and or to the expected New Japan standard, and Wato was one of them. My God, this was laid out phenomenally well. I fell in love with Master Wato in this match. Mm. He was so close, hitting his finisher. This is one of the best four ways in terms of how to tell a story with four people in the ring. Not I've seen better four ways, but in terms of how you make use of the fact that there are several people in one match to get someone over in defeat, he hit that incredible finish of his like three times on three different people, and every single time it got broken up or the referee got out of it. And I just thought they did a phenomenal job of making you do the oh, so close yet so far deal with Watto. And that um, Avalanche German on Hiromu at the end, I, I squealed as <laughs> yeah. panicked as I did for that move as I did virtually anything in um, Omega Osprey. So yeah, I did not expect Adam Wilborn to fall in love with Master Watto today. I honestly thought that might be the last thing I might do. But mm. my God, they did it. Love Takahashi, though. And, I knew uh, they were going to build a match around him, but I didn't expect to really, like, get into it. Mm. Were you, uh, just a quick word, I don't want to disregard everyone else, but just in terms of... I'll do some highs and lows yeah. in a speed round at the end. Yeah, were you surprised by seeing Carl Anderson, WWE star, drop the Never Openweight Championship to uh, to Tamatonga? It was, always, it was always a formality. Yeah. It was always going to happen to just excuse him from his deal and get him away from the title, which is quite funny how he's dogged it in that kind of meta role, especially against Hikaleo. And this is the match where he's going to turn it on to do business with Tamatonga. And it was still like the worst match on the main card because <laughs> it's Carl Anderson and it's not 2012 anymore. How was, I, I missed the Zack Sabre Jr. match and I love him. Right, hand on heart. I was writing up a news article about FTR losing the titles. So I missed it. I'm going to go and watch it because uh, the general consensus from people whose opinion I respect is that it was really, really well worked, escalated the intensity, the wrestling was incredibly crisp and believable, and the struggle element was there. And, yeah, from the storytelling perspective, like the experience and the impulsive sort of clashed, and Sabre Jr. used his experience to get over in a flash fashion. Um, so I'm expecting it to be great. A lot of people have said it was great. I, unfortunately, was busy doing work for that one. I love when he just turns people into bloody pretzels. Basically. Yeah, it's just so believable, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, your thoughts on the rest of this card, and particularly another title loss, I think the last title loss that yeah. they had uh, for FTR, um, losing their IWGP tag team titles. I'll be honest, I did not watch the pre-show because I watched NXT, which we are going to review. It should be out around about the same time wherever you get your podcast from, so do spend time with us on that as well, if you've got it. Um, I know a lot of people are tired today. Oh, my God, there's one New Japan show we watch a year. I had to stay up late for it. <laughs> Try being British. I, I literally saw some tweets last night going, oh, God, set the alarm, and I was like that. Don't you start. Yeah, don't you start. You could just go to bed at 8, wake up at 3 when it starts over there, and you got your seven hours. Yeah. Stop bitching. You don't have to stay up. Just get a split shift. That's how we do it. You need to, you know, they're amateurs at this. Yeah, though. exactly. They are amateurs at this. Uh, so I missed the pre-show with the Rambo and everything else. Um, I The opener... Fun sprint. Leo Rush in particular had some cool moves, but... A gusher the, in there. Yeah, yeah, hard way. I think he got a f he face first bumped on that studded lighty up ramp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, if that was when he got busted hard way, I wouldn't have... Uh, wouldn't have been surprised. Look, it was a really fun sprint. Uh, Leo Rush in particular is just movement. I'd love to watch him and swerve. Oh! Can you imagine that? That'd be absolutely unbelievable. Um... So he impressed me. 
It was fun sprint. I feel like I'm bored of that fast-paced junior style. I feel like it's been subsumed by both mainstream companies for several years now, so it has lost a certain unique quality. This has well worked for that kind of genre, but it has to be high-end for me to get really into it. As again, the women, I won't labor on it. I've already talked about it. I was really disappointed that it was so abrupt in its finish. FDR Bishamon was really hard-hitting. It's so good that Cash Wheeler has the no-flips-just-fist gimmick because when he busts out a dive, it's always awesome. It's always better than the people he buries for using it, and it kind of puts over the occasion. As if I have to bust out a dive, it's kind of a cheat code because he didn't really have to do it against Bishamon of the Guns, but it's kind of a cheat code to get a match over. Really hard-hitting, poor Yoshihashi. Seems to just take a killing in everything he does. He's fated <laughs> to get really badly hurt or to look like he's getting badly hurt. He took one header and he just his legs got wrapped around those um, like prison bar guardrails, if you like. And uh, I just looked like he was a mess. So a hard-hitting good match. Not one of the best FTR matches from their run, but it was really good. They might go to WWE. They might not. There's probably a get-the-table in it at some point. Yeah. Potentially. Um, so Certainly not on a great run right now. Yeah. But is it a meta thing? Are they doing business on the way out? Who knows? But again, I think that's one to really talk about on a separate uh, podcast. So we had Narita at ZSJ after that. Mm-hmm. What followed that? Then Tama versus Carl Anderson. Uh, then uh, Keiji Muto's last New Japan match, the six-man. It was fun, and they put the shine on Shoulder. And Shoulder's fire-ups were great, and it was a nice bit of business for Shooter. <laughs> He's a real penny dropper. Uh, then we had the yeah, then we had the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship that was won by Hiromu Takahashi, Omega Osprey, which was quite good, and <laughs> uh, Okada Jay White. A fun show. It was a really, really excellent show. If I'm being completely honest, I got the New Japan vibe back at the highest between 2012 and 2019. But that it was a bit like the WrestleMania thing. Yeah. I feel like the WWE guy who went off the product, or oh, The Rock's doing a match, or Lesnar's doing a big match, or Taker's doing a big match, like in the 2010s, mm. and then watching the rest of it and thinking... Uh, it's not so good or so fresh or so white or hot or so new or so fashionable that I have to stick around. I didn't get that feeling from the rest of the card, even though much of it was very good to very good indeed. Can't wait to watch Omega Osprey back again. I'm going to watch it tonight. Yeah. Uh, right, well, let us know your thoughts on Wrestle Kingdom 17 on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. As I said, make sure you check out Michael Hamlet's Ups and Downs article, which is out now, all about it, whatculture.com forward slash WWE. Uh, you can share your thoughts with us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick on Twitter at... M. Sidgwick. You can follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. As I said, make sure you subscribe to what Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from. For daily wrestling podcasts, me, Sidgwick and Hamlet will be back later on today to review... NXT and look ahead to a new look, AEW Dynamite, a little bit later on as well. But for now, this has been the Wrestle Kingdom 17 review. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Albert's, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? 
Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com code SUPER24.